Guys, I've got an awesome opportunity to tell you about. You can check out the Go Hunt Insider for free for a 30-day free trial right now. All you got to do is go to Go Hunt, that's G-O-H-U-N-T dot com forward slash J Scott. Look for the blue Start Your Free 30-Day Trial button and click there. This is by far the most valuable tool a Western hunter could give themselves. Insider changes how hunts and hunting information are found. When you go in the Insider, you'll be able to check out the filtering 2.0 system. You'll also be able to check out the draw odds for each unit, for each animal, for each state. Go Hunt Insider has the best draw odds on the market as far as the most accurate. There's no one that gets as meticulous level of accuracy as Go Hunt Insider. You'll see there's complete coverage of 4,200 different profiles, every unit, every state, every species, every season, in-depth analysis, interactive maps, season trends, unit access, camping and lodging nearby, and historical weather. You'll also be able to see some of the additional benefits, the strategy articles on how to apply, let's say in Arizona for elk, for antelope, for deer. You can go in there and see how in-depth they get It's an unbelievable opportunity, a free 30-day trial. They also do monthly giveaways. So just by being an Insider member, you get monthly giveaways. They give over $100,000 plus per year of giveaways, gear, tags, hunts. Another unbelievable thing about the Insider is the Go Hunt gear shop. So every time you buy something, you accumulate points. In, in essence, it's giving money back to the insider. You might ask, well, how does this work with the Go Hunt Insider? How does the 30-day free trial work? You can sign up to try Insider's industry-leading hunting products free for 30 days. They do take your credit card information so that you can automatically become a member once you, your 30-day trial ends. You can cancel at any time during the 30-day free trial, and it doesn't cost you a dime. You might ask, how is this different from other resources out there? Insider provides analysis and tools for every unit, every species, and every hunt. In each state that they cover, they don't just cover the top 10 units. Their coverage is super in-depth, and you can find those hidden gem units, maybe something that the draw odds uh, are a little bit better and maybe some quality. It's slipped through the cracks, and you might find a great hunt there. Right now, Go Hunt Insider covers Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, Utah, and Wyoming. All you have to do is go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott and check it out now. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Daniel Franco, my friend from Heber, Arizona of Burnt Timber Outfitters. Daniel, how you doing? Doing good, Jay. Um, we're right here at the beginning of August, and the last time I talked to you, I think, was around application season. We were talking about deer applications. Um, at that point in time, winter moisture was pretty bleak. Spring moisture was pretty bleak. What has happened, say, in the last month, uh, you know, two weeks to month with the monsoon storms there? Well, as... Uh as usually happens, we finally got our monsoons. They kicked in uh, about the 1st of July. Um, unfortunately, when they first started up, they were a little uh, little sporadic, uh, a little bit of rain, you know, here and there. Not not real widespread across, uh, you know, any particular area. Um, so it was a little spotty there for a while, um, but uh, it, it didn't take long, and we've uh, we've had some really good rains. Um, 
you know, for the most part, uh, most of you know, most of 3C, uh, quite a bit of 23, Unit 1, 27, they've all they've all got their fair share of rain for sure. So, uh, what about good, that 4B, 4B country? Did it get any of the moisture? You know, it's been a little sporadic out there, even even still. Um, it, it seems like the uh, you know a lot of the higher um, southern parts of the unit, the higher elevation stuff, got uh, some pretty good rains um, as you start to transition into the pinon juniper. It's it's kind of mixed. Some of it some of it's got rain. Some of it's uh, um, a little dry still. Uh, there there's kind of a big four or five mile stretch right there, kind of in the middle of the unit that uh, still uh, is pretty dry. It's starting to green up a little bit, but tanks are dry. Um, and then you know either either north or south of there. Uh, there's a lot of places where tanks are full, and you, and you can definitely tell that it's ran water and kind of washed out the roads and places. So uh, still a little kind of hit and miss in, in 4B and, and even in 3A, for that matter. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's got enough to green up the grass but not quite fill up the tanks yet So in some of those spots. And, and talking about 3C in general, um, was the moisture that you've gotten over the last couple of weeks pretty widespread, and has the, you know, the country greened up pretty much all over, or is it um, spotty as well? No, 3C, uh, you know, here, oh, I'd say here in about the last two to three weeks, we finally got some pretty good widespread moisture. Um, you know, some some pretty hard rains in areas, other areas it just kind of uh, drizzled for for about a day or two. Um, so the the majority of 3C is looking really good, uh, greening up good. Uh, tanks have got water, um, so yeah, that 3C is looking good. Um, there, there's parts um, of the unit I think that could use a little more moisture, and and some have have gotten quite a bit. But you know, overall, it's it's been pretty widespread across the unit. With um, moisture, you know, the monsoonal moisture um, coming, you know, and looking pretty good. Um, do you feel like it has benefited the bulls in any way in regards to antler growth, or do you feel like it's pretty much, you know, what what did come was too late to make an impact would be my first question. And the second question is, you know, have you seen enough bulls to be able to determine if we're looking at average, below average, above average, or kind of, you know, what we're looking at as far as elk antler growth? Well, I think, you know, specifically in 3C, um, I think the rains that we did get were, were a little bit too late to, to really help out the bulls. Um, you know, the, the crazy thing about 3C is uh, right now there's probably six bulls in the entire unit in 3C. <laughs> uh, the rest are on the Fort Apache. Um, so, you know, it kind of depends on, uh, you know, what the Fort Apache is, has gotten, you know. I can tell you in 3A and in, in parts of 4B where uh, where we've got resident elk and resident bulls that we've seen, uh, I can tell you that they're definitely down. Uh, we're below average, um, and my you know my best guess, just looking at, at what bulls we've seen from year to year, uh, looking at them this year, we're we're probably a good 20 inches off, um, some even more, some some as much as 30 inches off. So. Um, you know, and, and granted, those those units didn't get uh, near as much rain. Um, you know, so kind of our wild card there is, is going to be, you know, the reservation depends on on the Fort Apache. You know, if the if the bulls over there had, 
if they had the moisture, if they had the feed and the nutrients that they needed to, to you know, help them, you know, through the through the hot, dry summer months. So that's uh, kind of yet to uh, yet to be seen, and uh, you know, one of those things where time will tell definitely on on those. So now with this uh, monsoonal moisture, um, the bucks in three C, obviously. Um, you like looking at those mule deer bucks. Um, do you think that the moisture can do the bucks some good? I mean, obviously they have a longer growing period. What, what's your thoughts on that? And have you seen some good bucks already? Uh, you know, absolutely. I think with, uh, you know, and, and we've talked about this in previous uh, podcasts, but the, our, our deer tend to, to kind of just cycle later than, than, you know, your, your, your Utah and even your, you know your strip deer and whatnot. They they rut later. They shed later. They start growing later. So um, you know normally by about the first of July, your even your you know biggest of four points are, are going to be just a just a frame at that point. So uh, they're going to be out to their ears, uh, split main beams, balled up pretty bad. Um, so they're just kind of starting to grow. So these these rains are definitely going to help them. Um, I don't, I don't think it's really going to affect our deer that much, just because, um, you know, we've got the moisture now when they're when they're needing the growth the most. So, um, I have seen a couple of bucks. It's still a little bit early to, you know, really tell what they are, what they're going to be, what they, you know, potentially could finish out at. So, that's uh, another thing where you know we'll just have to kind of wait and see how they finish out here towards. Uh, towards the end of August, uh, first part of September, and, and see kind of where we're at there. But I, I think with the moisture that we've got, um, the way the forest is greening up, um, you know, I think on our last podcast I talked about acorns. Um, if we can get uh, an acorn crop, then I, I think the deer will be just fine. With um, the, the uh, point guard system that Arizona now has, um, you know, you've got units right there around your house. You've got your you know, four Bs that don't take a lot of points, and you've got your three Cs and 23s that take quite a bit of points. Um, have you had conversations with any of your hunters or, um, you know, as far as people, you know, considering possibly get, turning their tags back in because of the antler growth on the elk being down? Um, just curious your thoughts on that, or um, do you, you know, do you feel like there'll still be some good bulls and you're encouraging your clients to go ahead and push, push forward? No, we've, we've definitely had that conversation. Um, in fact, um, we, we had a pair of guys, uh, who have been applying, you know, for, for a long time, uh, going into the draw this year, they had 17 points. Uh, they both applied for, for three C archery. They drew in the max pool. Um, and, uh, we were going to just kind of play it by ear and see, you know, see how the year was going to look, what the bulls were going to look like. Well, since then, um, uh, both gentlemen have, have, uh, had injuries. One injured his shoulder and the other one injured his knee. Um, so at that point we talked again, uh, and we talked in great length about it, to be honest with you. And anyways, we, we decided that, you know, with the moisture this year, with as, as dry as it's been, um, you know, my feeling is the elk are going to be down, um, Due to due to our dry conditions, and with them not being 100% healthy with the shoulder and and knee injury, um, you know I recommended to them, you know, turn your tag back in, you know, eat the eat the application fee this year, 
And, you know, with, with you being in the max pool, you should be guaranteed a tag next year, barring some, some you know, crazy thing in the draw. Um, and then we, we do it again next year with, you know, hopefully better moisture, better antler growth, and, and hunters that are 100%. So uh, we, we've talked about that with elk clients. I've actually had the same conversations uh, with our deer clients as well that, uh, you know, let's, let's just kind of wait and see what happens. Um, you know, my, my biggest thing is it's, you know, the, these guys wait for, for 17 or, or, you know, 15, 17 years, whatever, to draw a, a 3C archery bull tag or a 23 archery bull tag or whatever. And, uh, you know, it hits on a bad year when, when we didn't receive hardly any spring and summer moisture. Um, you know, I've, I've told them, hey, let's wait and see what it looks like. And if it's absolutely down and it's not going to be as good as we're hoping or think it's going to be, um, you know, turn the tag back in, get your points back, and and let's let's reboot for next year. You know, I hate to see somebody, you know, have to, you know, kind of be forced to, to hunt on a on a bad year in Arizona when they've waited so long for a great tag. So, yeah, makes sense. Um, with that being said, anybody out there listening, have you? Um, Daniel, have you been able to fill up those positions or those spots? Or if there's anybody out there listening, do you have availability for the archery hunt uh, in your guide service? Um, we do not for the archery. We're, we're booked full for the archery hunts. Um, and to be honest, we've only have, we have, we could make one more opening uh, for the early rifle hunt in either, or early muzzleloader in either uh, Unit 1 or, or 3C or 23 North. That would be that would completely fill us up. Um, we're full on deer. Um, so, yeah, at this point, we're, we're sitting pretty good. Uh, going into this year, we're, we're pretty full. Sounds good. Um, so with, with the green up, though, in 3C, um, do you feel like the cows are going to be good and fleshy by the time the season comes, and do you anticipate, um, you know, a, a good solid rut? Do you have any type of feel yet or is it still too early to kind of determine that you know being say you know 40 days out or something um is it too early or do you feel like with what you see um they'll probably be feeling good which in turn will probably you know make them want to you know act like elk act like well i i sure hope so i mean with the with just with the green up that i've seen here in the last you know three weeks um you know, everything's green. Um, the elk are looking good. The deer are looking good. Everything looks pretty healthy. Um, so, you know, I, I think that because it did hit right at the first of July, which which was which is a blessing in in my opinion, um, I think that will give those elk plenty of time to recover from you know the stress of being dry, of not having the proper nutrients in the feed. Um, now with it greening up, that should give you know our cows. A good solid two months of of you know high nutrition green grass. Uh, I think that in turn will will you know kind of roll right into Mother Nature, and they should uh, they should be healthy enough that they'll come into heat, and and of course then the bulls will start acting like bulls and doing what they what they uh, live to do once a year, and that's and that's uh, that in turn should be good for all of us. So. Sounds good. Uh, I want to take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors, and then I've got some elk questions. Um, I know you're busy. I just want to get a couple elk questions from listeners um, answered, get your opinion on some of them, and 
and then uh, we'll be off and running. So let's take a quick break here. Guys, we're weeks away from the start of hunting seasons in most states. No doubt you'll have some trips planned. If you're going to be out for longer than a few days, take a look at Canyon Cooler's Outfitter line of premium ice chests. They're going to keep your ice intact for just as long as the other premium coolers, but aren't going to cost you a fortune, leaving more money in your pockets while keeping your food and drinks cold. And here's the deal. There are subtle differences between coolers that you don't really notice until you've used a few of them. What's great about the Outfitter series from Canyon Coolers is they're designed to be flush vertically without the cupcake tops you'll see on other premium coolers. This lets you fit them into tight spaces with ease and they're not going to get hung up on other gear. It's one of those things you'll really appreciate after you've used them that you don't even realize before. And Canyon Coolers offers the coolers industries no hassle no fault lifetime warranty no matter what happens to your ice chest no matter who bought it or how long you've owned it if the cooler falls out of the back of your truck and you drag it down the highway for 50 miles all you have to do is send them a picture of the damage and canyon will replace or repair the cooler for you it's the last cooler you'll ever need to buy it keeps ice just as long if not longer than the other premium brands costs you less and is backed by an incredible warranty and a second amendment supportive company based in flagstaff arizona and now just for my podcast listeners save 10 percent off canyon's already low prices and get free shipping by using the promo code j scott at checkout Check them out at canyoncoolers.com. Okay, Daniel, I've got a couple questions here from uh, listeners and Instagram followers. Um, this comes from Holes3 on Instagram. For archery elk, should my top sight pin be set at 20 or 30 yards? In other words, should he set his top pin for 20 or 30? What is your opinion for archery elk, Daniel? Uh, you know, my personal opinion is 20. Uh, and the reason I say that is, um, you know, it's not uncommon to, to get a bull, you know, under, under 10 yards. I mean, I, I can think of about five or six bulls that we've killed, uh, with, with archer equipment that were under 10 yards. Um, I can also think of uh, a handful of bulls that were missed, uh, even at that same distance, just because guys, you know, they get excited, they draw back, they put all their pins on the body and, and end up launching one right uh, right through the, the hair on the top of the back. So, um, you know, I think with 20, it gives you a little uh, more solid aiming point versus, okay, anything under 30, I just hold here. You know, logistically speaking, you know, your, is your arrow going to fly, you know, pretty true at that point? Is it going to be a couple inches high? Is that really going to matter? Probably not. Uh, but I think mentally it would be uh, more beneficial to the hunter to have it set at 20, 30, you know, 40, 50, however, however they set their pins at that point. So uh, personally, I, I have a 20, so I would I'd probably okay. say 20 yards. Okay. Uh, next question is DT Hughes 4 from Instagram. What's the best tactics in a more pressured unit like a 6A or a 4A or a 4B? Um, I assume he's talking about, you know, archery elk, you know, season. He's talking about what are the best tactics in a more pressured unit. What are some, what are some bits of advice you can give for hunting pressured elk? 
Well, I'll tell you the number one uh, technique that I use is to either call less or to not even call at all. Uh, you get in these pressured units, um, you know, and, and I would consider even 3C to be a pressured unit. There's not a ton of tags in the unit, but because uh, the unit is surrounded by uh, communities, you've got, you know, Forest Lakes, you've got Hebrew Overguard, Clay Springs, Pinedale, Sholo. There, there's so many locals that enjoy going out and, you know, playing with elk during that time of year um, that, that the elk tend to, to feel pressured and to get pressured. So, uh probably the number one tactic that I like to use is to not call. Let the elk do their thing. Let the elk be elk and slip in on them. Um, and, you know, at, at that point, if you're, if you're right there and you're close to getting a shot, um, you know, then maybe a, a well-timed, uh, you know, cow call or something will a lot of times pull that bull in just close enough for a shot. Um, personally, I, I like to get in close on elk let them do their thing, and, and let them make the mistake, uh, and then get within bow range and, 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 and let it rip. So, I think that's great advice. Another question, Western Hunter underscore 55, do you do a lot of driving at night chasing bugles during the rut? Daniel? Um, I have. It, it kind of depends, I guess, on the on the time of year, the, you know, the, the, the time in the season when they're, if they're, if it's an early season and they're just starting up, then I will. Um, but quite often, especially during, uh, during the hunt, you know, the elk will get pressured and they'll move. So a lot of times once we, once we get done hunting an area and we're heading back into town, and, and to be honest with you, I've done this in the, in the evening after dark. I've also done it in the morning about nine or 10 o'clock if I'm, if where we're hunting kind of, kind of peters out and there's not, not any bugling the bulls are are bedding early um i'll take a different route you know headed back to town and stop multiple times and and, and even then you know throw out a cow call here and there into into canyons where i know elk normally like to bed and a lot of times you can get a response and get stuff fired up we've killed uh multiple bulls doing that at, at you know 10 o'clock driving you know back into town and and stop in a spot walk over the edge cow call and a bull screams you know get a look at him hey that's a shooter bull work down there call him in and, and shoot him so um, yeah, I've used that uh, that technique quite a bit, to be honest with you. Good stuff. Um, Jordan JC5 from Instagram, if there's a lot of water in an area, what other factors do you look for to find elk? So let's say that you've got lots of uh, dirt tanks, lots of, lots of water, maybe even uh, moving water, what have you. Um, what other factors do you look for to find elk, Daniel? Well, um, I mean, obviously during the early seasons, you know, they once an elk becomes vocal, that's uh, obviously the best way to to locate them. Um, that's that's the way I prefer. Um, and and you know, we don't have a lot of live water in three C. We do have some springs, uh, and occasionally with with the right rains, we will get a little bit of of live water, but. Uh, you know, even in areas where there's where there's a lot of water, there's uh, you know game and fish catchments and whatnot. Um, you know, it's always it's always good to check those for tracks. Um, if if there's any way to get you know some elevation and glass, that's typically the way that I like to try to find them. If I know there's an area that's got quite a bit of water, and water tends to be an issue or not, um, glassing is always always one of my you know favorite things to do. Uh, get up high glass. Um, 
that a lot of times you can locate elk that way, um, you know, first, and then, you know, like I said earlier, especially during the early seasons, once they start bugling, then that's that's one of my other primary ways of, of getting them located. Here's another question from Diaz, period, Rocky24 on Instagram. When facing a unit with not a lot of elk, but a unit that has a lot of hunters, how would you hunt that? Hmm. Um, you know, there's, I, I kind of consider 4B to be, kind of fall into that category where there's there's not a lot of elk typically in that unit. Um, there's not a ton of hunters, but there's, it always seems like there's more hunters and hunting pressure um, than, than what there are elk. Um, so something that I like to do, um, I like to go to the kind of the outskirts of, of those units. Uh, like for example, in 4B, I'll go down, you know, into the low country and, and go early and find, you know, find your water sources, find your tracks, find where, find where there are elk, especially resident elk that live there year round. Um, a lot of times that, uh, can be the difference between a, a, an extremely frustrating hunt because of all the hunting pressure versus, you know, a good hunt where you don't have a lot of hunting pressure. You can get away from a lot of that hunting pressure because you're off into areas where, uh, typically it's, it's not elk habitat. Um, and, and that way you can, you can have a great hunt. You can have, you know, even a successful hunt at that point and avoid, you know, kind of the, the, the pitfalls of, of dealing with other hunters and, uh, and hunting pressure. So in other words, if you know that you've got a unit that doesn't have a ton of elk and you, you're going to have quite a bit of people pressure, what you would say is maybe don't even focus at all in the summer or any of your scouting efforts in those areas where you know that people are going to be, um, maybe up in the high country, up in the pines, maybe close, close to some of these towns and some of these units maybe go out on the outskirts, what you're saying is go find some places that are not either fun to hunt or, be, you know, that would be one thing where it's, you know, a little tougher or it's marginal country. Um, but if you can find those elk early, find out where they're, where they're at. And even if you're not dealing with a lot of elk, if you've just got a handful of cows and a bull or two, when the rut starts, you know, that might turn into four, five, six bulls that you right. might have all to right. yourself, whereas you could have, you know, eight or ten bulls up up in an area that, you know, is a highly pressured area. I'd rather be hunting two or three bulls by myself than, you know, hunting with a bunch of people. So I think that's right. Uh, I think that's that, good that, advice. I think. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yep. Um, so we've got um, two more questions, and then I'll let you go. Uh, one you question is from MB. A Steen thirty eight. Do you know any info on early archery twenty seven? Um, personally, unit twenty seven. I have not stepped foot in there during the archery hunt. What I do hear is that it's um, you can get you know some pressure, like what you're talking about, Daniel. You can get quite a bit of pressure up, say in the high country, and that there is some transitional type country, some big canyon country, maybe some places where there's not as many roads that you can kind of get away from people and get out there mm -hmm. and, and, you know, maybe not find as many elk, but maybe find a big elk. Um, the other thing that I know about 27 is with that wallow fire, um, 
you know, it used to be that some of those transitional areas or those areas further out in the PGAs would be good in 27. What I have heard with the fire, though, that a lot of those elk have, you know, kind of transitioned and migrated much like 3C, and, and most of the elk have congregated into those burn areas. So, um, and I'll let you answer after this, but, um, I, you know, one thing about it is you got to go where the elk are, and if the, the fire, the burn has, has concentrated those elk, you're probably going to have to hunt in those burn areas. Um, and I remember after the Rodeo Chetiskai fire in 3C, like, I mean, if you, if, it, it's probably changed a little bit now, but if you're not, if you weren't hunting in that fresh burn area, like, you were not going to find elk because they basically all migrated into those areas because of some of that fresh feed and such. Mm -hmm. um, so, I would keep that in mind if I was hunting unit 27. What are your thoughts, Daniel? Uh, you're, you're right on. I mean, the, you know, 27 does not have a lot of um, vehicle, you know, type access areas like, like a lot of these other units do. Uh, so, unfortunately, those units that are easy to get to or those, those parts in the unit that are easy to get to are going to have a lot of hunting pressure. Um, it's those areas that are hard to get to that, you know, might require, you know, a couple of miles hiking into, you know, the blue wilderness or into some of these areas where there are no roads, um, you know, that's where you're, you're more than likely going to have your best success because, you know, it's, and I've mentioned this before, you know, it's hard enough to beat an elk at his own game in his, you know, in, in his living room doing what, what he knows how to do and you're trying to beat him at that game. When you add two or three other hunters in the mix, and you've got, you know, more scent and, and people doing stuff that you think is, you know, not smart coming in, you know, upwind, whatever the case is. Um, you know, it, it's hard enough to kill them as it is by yourself. So when you go throwing three other hunters into the mix, it almost makes it impossible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just, you know, trying to get away from easy access areas, especially in 27, that's that's where uh, you're you're really going to up your 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 success rate on that is by getting getting into those areas where it's just you know you and the animals and 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 avoiding that that other pressure and um daniel the other thing i've heard about 27 is that the bugling throughout the archery hunt can be fairly sporadic meaning it can be red hot on fire one day and the next day just kind of be dead it's it's not a consistent you know, with that being said, I've heard guys talking about great bugling in 27, but it's kind of like a unit eight where it kind of has a reputation where it can be red hot one day and dead the next. So I would say if you're planning to go in 27, you know, keep that in mind. Don't get discouraged. Um, you, you know, what are your thoughts on the what you've heard on the bugling in 27? Uh, about the same. That You know, some days are really good. Some days are, are not, you know, and, and I'll be honest, we've, we've kind of experienced those, those highs and lows, you know, in 3C and in Unit 1 and even in 23. Um, you know, it's just, it seems like, you know, some days they're just on fire and they're, and they're going. And a lot of times, you know, I'll attribute that to, to a hot cow or two in the area. And once that cow yeah. gets bred, it just, it kind of dies off. Um, but it, it does seem like I've heard that a, a little more about 27 uh, just being kind of hit and miss than I have, you know, some of the other units. So, um, you know, and it's not like the elk left. Um, they're, they're still in the area. They just, 
you know, they, they, again, I would probably, bit. yeah, they clammed up a little bit. You know, one of the cows comes into heat. You know, there, there's kind of a, a bugling frenzy that takes place for, you know, 12 to 12 to 24 hours. And once that cow gets bred, everybody just kind of, it's like, well, okay, I guess we got to wait for the next one type of deal. And everybody <laughs> kind of clams up and they're not going to talk. And, and, you know, it kind of, I guess it kind of takes the wind out of their cells for, for, uh, for an evening or a morning until, uh, until they kind of start getting back into their, their, you know, active rutting activity. So. The last question here, Daniel, is from Homestead underscore Industries, and it says, archery hunting, would you leave behind your tripod and spotting scope to keep, your light, to keep you lighter in your pack, or would you always carry those to keep for midday glassing? So I guess it's a two-part, well, when I think of this question, I think of, first of all, you know, what state are you hunting? You know, if you're hunting Colorado where you've got big canyons and big basins and, you know, you need that spotter, you need that tripod to glass across a big basin, um, that would be one thing. I would mm -hmm. say pretty much most of your hunting in Arizona, um, I would probably leave the tripod and leave the spotting scope and run and gun and go light. Um, if, if you're... Uh, you know, backpacking in Colorado and, you know, you're not really into the elk and, you know, you could be somewhat limited if all of a sudden, you know, you got on a bowl or two that was bugling, they clammed up and you wanted to glass across a basin. Um, you know, one thing is, you know, how big a bowl are you looking for? You can probably determine with your, you know, 10 power chest binoculars that you've got if it's a, you know, big enough bowl that you want to kind of go after. Um, unless you're, you know, seriously trophy hunting, I would probably say, you, as a general rule of thumb, go as light as you can. Leave the right. spotter, leave the leave the uh, tripod back back at camp. Yeah, def definitely. You know, especially here in Arizona. Um, you know, if I've if if I'm going to put a guy on a hill, um, I'm going to tell him to take his you know his spotting scope and tripod to, to glass. Now that's you know obviously I would have a hunter with me and, and put a put a spotter on a hill basically. Um, but yeah, I, I I can't think of a season, uh, uh, an archery elk season one where I've actually carried uh, a spotting scope with me. I, I do carry a tripod just because it gives me you know stability. Especially if I am, if we're in tight on a bull and we know they're bedded, um, I'll pull my spot my tripod out and and pick it apart, trying to find a, a horn or a leg or a you know piece of body color. Now if I'm if I'm hunting Colorado or, or Montana or some really big open country where, you know, it, it's going to save me a, a three, four-mile hike to get to a bull, then I'm definitely going to pack a spotting scope because then I can, you know, I can put that on. I can take a look at the bull. I can glass during the midday, um, you know. So, yeah, I, I definitely say that's, you know, kind of two-part. depends on where you're hunting. Um, it depends on, on the terrain and all that. So if it's going to save you, if it's going to save you half a day to, to get to a bull, then definitely carry a spotting scope if, if uh, if you're hunting Arizona, uh, definitely not light light run and gun. Um, you know, chase as many bugles and look at as many bulls as you can, and that's you know that's going to be more of your line of success. So, well, Daniel, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the uh, you know the recap of the forecast of the monsoon, and obviously we've got a little bit of a wait here for you know, for these bulls to start bugling, but um, I'll look forward to checking back in with you, um, probably do kind of a mid-archery season kind of rut report, see what you're seeing, 
uh, see what you're hearing, and I uh, appreciate your time, as always, on the podcast. I know the listeners get a lot of value from listening to you, and uh, best of uh, luck to you and uh, Mikey and Jay and, and the rest of your guides there at Burnt Timber Outfitters, and um, just want to give you a chance to let the listeners know. I'll p- put it up in the show notes, but uh, if guys want to hear more about uh, what you guys do there uh, in, in your core units, uh, how do they get a hold of you? Um, you know, probably the best way is uh, we've got our website, uh, com. It's got uh, in our contact uh, page, it's got uh, phone numbers and emails where they can contact us uh, either way. Uh, they can either Perfect. email us or, or call us up. Uh, they can also follow us um, on Instagram. We've got uh, a Burnt Timber Outfitters uh, Instagram as well as uh, myself and Mike also have uh, Instagram pages ourselves. Uh, mine is uh, Franco underscore BTO, uh, and Mike's is Mikey, that's with two E's, uh, underscore BTO. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for your time. Um, I'll let you, you get back to it, and uh, look forward to, to seeing how you guys do this year, okay? You bet. You bet. It's going to be fun. All right, buddy. Take care. Thank you. All right. You bet. We'll see you, Jay. I want to thank theoutdoorsmans.com for their sponsorship of my podcast. I want to let you guys know they are the optics authority. And if you're looking for any binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, make sure to get a hold of the guys at the Outdoorsman's. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you get a 10% discount on all Outdoorsman's products. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or you can call them at 1-800-291-8065.